At first, it was just one sheep per day. But as the deadly dragon grew more powerful, he demanded more and more. Soon it was the people of Silene themselves, so intense was his insatiable hunger, his desperate desire for more and more. Until, until one day a courageous knight named George agrees to confront the dragon. After a long and bloody battle, George finally defeats the cruel beast, saves the princess, and rescues the town. With what weapon did George slay the dragon? A spear? A lance? A sword? Maybe, just maybe, the dragon was slain by love. Welcome to Slain by Love, your weekly sermon podcast from the pulpit of St. George's Episcopal Church in Austin, Texas. Lord, praise to you, Lord Christ. You've seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. If therefore you obey my voice, and keep my covenant, you will be my treasured possession. Indeed, the whole earth is mine, but you shall be for me a priestly nation and a holy people. In the name of the living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Y'all, good morning, and please be seated. Good morning. I want to tell you a story this morning. I want to tell you a story this morning as we continue to walk through and follow Jesus through Matthew's gospel as Jesus battles against and fights and stares down the Pharisees, the law-wielding and abusive Pharisees, as Jesus comforts and shepherds the people. I want to tell you a story. And actually, it's a three-part story or a three-act story, kind of like a three-act play. And the setting of these three acts are the following. Garden, mountain, city. Act one, garden. Once upon a time, there was a man and a woman Now, this man and this woman lived a really, really long time ago. In fact, so long ago that the world was a very different place. In fact, in this world, there was no evil. There was no violence. There was no war. There were no hungry bellies, no jealousy, no lying, no gossip, No meanness, no anger, no hatred, no hurtful words, no mean looks. Oh, and one other thing that was not in this world, in this garden of peace and love. You know what else was absent? Shame. Here's how Genesis 2.25 puts it. The man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. In this world, this long, long time ago, things were different. Everything was peaceful. Everything was loving. Everything was good. And in this world, God, God's name is also the Lord, 
God planted a garden. I wonder what is the most beautiful garden you've ever seen. There's a garden in Tyler, Texas called the Tyler Rose Garden, and it is unspeakably beautiful. Uh, Some people think about the gardens at Versailles. I've never been there, but alas, my wife has. It'd be difficult to think of a garden more beautiful, more excellent, more enchanting than those gardens. For me, I think that my favorite garden, the most enchanted gardens I've ever been in, are the gardens in Cambridge, England, along the Cam River. Would you believe, would you believe that the garden that the Lord planted was way better, way more beautiful than any of those? But as beautiful, as enchanted as this garden was, you know what was even more wonderful than that? The Lord himself was there. The Lord himself was there. In fact, Genesis 3 suggests that the man and the woman used to take walks at night with the Lord in the cool of the evening breeze. In other words, the Lord loved to be with this man and this woman. He loved to dwell with them, to commune with them, to be with them, and even inside of them. Can you imagine the safety? Can you imagine the joy, the intimate joy? Can you imagine the bliss? I have a memory from when I was in my early 30s. Bella was little, itty-bitty, maybe three years old. Eli had not been born yet. And I would come home. I would come home after a super long day at work, and I was exhausted. It'd be like 7 or 8 p.m. I'd be so tired. I usually needed to use the bathroom really bad, and I, I would come limping up to the front door of the house. Uh, I would find my keys. I would unlock the door, and, well, that was it. That was it. Because you see, before I could drop my bag on the floor, before I could take my keys out of the door lock, before I could, certainly before I could use the bathroom, and even before I could tell my wife that I was home, here's what I experienced. Here's what I experienced. Pitter-patter, the pitter-patter of bare feet running down the hallway, and then about 15 pounds of boundless energy and love jumping, wrapping her little arms around my waist as tightly as she could. Daddy, Daddy, you're home. Not a bad memory on this Father's Day, I might add. But you see, when I imagine Adam and Eve in the garden, this is the image that I always come back to. I love that image, the love, the intimacy, the pure affection, the trust of the heart. There's a word for this. As we saw last week, it is the word chesed. Friends, that is what we experienced in the garden with the Lord. Act 2, mountain. Now, Act 2, the mountain, is also in a very different world from the one that you and I live in. What happened on the mountain took place a very long time ago. And even though a lot has happened now since Act 1 in the garden, yes, a lot, a lot of bad stuff, violent stuff, ugly stuff, even though a lot had gone wrong, 
Still, in this world, we have a situation. It's a world in which God still speaks to his people. Now, by this time in the story, those characters of Adam and Eve, they're long gone, and now there's a new leader on the scene, a man named Moses, and it was Moses with whom the Lord would now talk and converse and commune. And so the Lord speaks to Moses from the mountain, and he gives Moses and the people the law, the Torah, in a kind of miniature form, kind of a seedling form. This is kind of a preview. This is the beating heart of God's Torah, God's law. Quote, you've seen what I did to the Egyptians. See, this is the law of God, the Torah in seedling miniature form. You've seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples. Indeed, the whole earth is mine, but you shall be for me a priestly kingdom and a holy nation. Wow. What is the Lord trying to say to Moses and to, his, and to God's people? The Lord is saying this, I'm the lover of your soul. I'm your rescuer. I'm the creator, the sustainer, the owner of all that exists, and I long to be in relationship with you. When I think of you, the Lord is saying, I imagine a treasured possession, a ruby, a diamond, an emerald. Even though all of creation is mine, the most special object of my love is you. Not the galaxies with their stars and planets, not blue whales, not waterfalls cascading down, not blue bonnets or amber waves of, waves of grain, not California redwoods. No. The Lord is saying to his people, what I want most deeply is you. And did you catch the poetry in those lines? Did you catch the poetic language in those lines? Not just treasured possession, which I spoke of just now, but also eagle's wings. On eagle's wings. This is the language of poetry and song and love. What do you think of when you hear that phrase, eagle's wings? I think of Tolkien and the Lord of the Rings. All those places in the story where those beleaguered beaten down hobbits are just about to get trampled on. They're just about to get killed by the bad guys. Maybe it's a troll, maybe it's a, uh, orcs, maybe it's Nazgul, maybe it's uh, one of those Balrog thingies. Right whenever they are on the brink of destruction, just when it seems like there's no hope whatsoever, swoosh, swoosh, down, sweep, those majestic eagles, and they save the day as they usher those little helpless hobbits to safety. By the way, this is the first time on eagles' wings, this is the first time in the story of the Hebrew Bible that it talks about eagles, much less eagles' wings. There is no story of eagles or eagles' wings in the Exodus prior to this point in Exodus 19. No, 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 no. So you see, this image is not literal. 
It's metaphorical. It's imaginative. It's poetic. Eagle's wings. And friends, where do those eagle's wings take them? What is the destination? You saw what I did to those Egyptians, your ruthless enemies who hated you and tortured you and are on the brink, were on the brink of destroying you. You saw what I did to them, how I bore you on eagle's wings and brought you where? Not simply to safety, how I brought you to myself, says the Lord. How I brought you to myself. Don't you see, we're back in the garden. We're back in the garden now, the place of intimacy, the place of relationship, the place of chesed. The Lord here in Exodus 19 is saying the very same thing that we saw and experienced in the garden in Act 1. The Lord is giving his people chesed, loving kindness, steadfast love, personal presence, emotional intimacy, complete trustworthiness, and solidarity, relational faithfulness. You see? Chesed. And now, Act 3, the city. Like many cities, including our own, the city that we read about this morning in Matthew chapter 9 was spilling over with folks in need. And not first world problems like the ones I have. No, no. These people were harassed and oppressed by both Roman soldiers and Jewish religious types, Jewish religious tyrants, as we saw last Sunday. These people were up to their eyeballs in crushing debt. They were afflicted and suffering from all kinds of life-ending plagues and illnesses. And what was the response? What was the response of the Pharisees, the elders, the shepherds of the temple and the synagogues? What did pastoral care look like coming from these, these men, they are men, who were called to be the shepherds of Israel? What did it, what, 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 how were they caring for the people? Verse 36 of Matthew 9, the crowds were like sheep without a shepherd. See, were the shepherds actually shepherding, caring and serving the sheep? Far from it. The very ones who were called to shepherd only made it worse. As we saw last Sunday, they would beat down the people and oppress them with the law of the Old Testament. But friends, look at Jesus. Look at the real shepherd our gospel this morning says this, Jesus went around all the, city, the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and curing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them, for they were harassed and helpless, Matthew 9, 35 and 36. And when Jesus sends out his disciples to continue his ministry and actually to extend his ministry, his mission of healing love, he tells them this, as you go out, proclaim the good news that the kingdom of heaven is near. I want you mentally to circle that phrase, kingdom of heaven. Cure the sick, raise the dead, 
Cleanse the leopards, lepers, or leopards. <laughs> Cleanse the lepers. Cast out demons. You received without payment. Give without payment. Dear friends, what is going on here in Act 3, the city? It's the very same thing we saw in Act 1, the garden. The very same thing we saw in Act 2, the mountain. We are witnessing the hesed of the Lord. This is what that phrase, the kingdom of heaven, is. The kingdom of heaven is God's presence, God's covenant love, God's faithfulness, God's longing for intimate relationship, God's loving kindness and steadfast love. You see, God's chesed. That's what we experience in Act 1. That's what we experience in Act 2. And that is what we experience in Act 3. Oh, wait. Did, did I say there were three acts? I just thought of a fourth. I just thought of one more. Not a garden. Not a mountain. Not a city. Act four, the intake room of a women's health clinic. Imagine it with me. Here's a woman who's just come in, and she's, she's at the end of her rope. Her appearance is downcast. She can barely look up to make eye contact. In fact, the, her makeup, the smudges of her makeup are running down her cheeks because of the tears. True, she's never been abused by a Roman soldier. Her abuse was at the hands of a man she'd hoped she could trust. The more you Look at this woman. The more it hits you, she's just like those crowds in Jesus' day. She's the one who's helpless and harassed, Matthew 9, 36. She's the one who's up to her eyeballs. She's the one in desperate need of a shepherd. And in this intake room, sitting down with a compassionate attendant, what will she experience? What will she experience as she receives one of these bags, we call them comfort bags, as she experiences the aroma of lavender wash over her, as she reaps, reaches in the bag and grabs one of those stress balls and begins to squeeze it, as she hears of the love that went into making this bag and of the prayers on her behalf, what will she experience? She will not literally hear God's voice as Moses did at the top of that mountain. She might not have a mystical experience of God like Adam and Eve in the garden. She will not see with her eyeballs the incarnate Son of God, Jesus Christ. All of that is true, but still she will experience what all of those people experienced. Oh, yes, she will experience something. Put it like this. She will get a faint taste of something. She will get a whiff of something. What will she smell? Not just lavender. She will sense a faint hope for peace. 
she will feel love, love that is better than any man can give. A love that's safe. A love that's faithful. A love that's intimate. This, dear friends, is the love of God, mediated by these comfort bags coming in and through the hands and hearts of St. George's. This, this faint sense, this aroma that she will have and smell, this is the chesed of God. In the name of the living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Thanks for joining us at the pulpit of St. George's Austin, where the love of God in Christ slays our enemies, our fears, our guilt, our worries. How are they slain? Only by love. Special thanks to the good folks of St. George's and especially to that masterful media guru, Liam Dolan Henderson. See you next week. Peace and be well.